Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Neural Podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome everyone, I'm Dr. Andrew Sheehan from the San Antonio Military Medical Center. Today I'm excited to be talking to Dr. Travis Decker, who's an active duty United States Air Force orthopedic sports medicine specialist currently in practice at Eglin Air Force Base, which is just outside of Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Dr. Decker's paper entitled Clinical Characteristics and Outcomes After Anatomic Reconstruction of the Proximal Tibiofibular Joint was published in the June 2020 issue of Arthroscopy Journal. Travis, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining me. Andy, thanks so much for having me. Uh, very excited and happy to be a part of the podcast series that you and the journal have put together. Also, I uh, have to be helping out a fellow Air Force member, knowing that we uh, chose our uh, line of service uh, correctly compared to some of our uh, mentors. <laughs> yeah, and everybody should know that you're actually the real deal. You went to the Air Force Academy as well. I'm kind of a, a pretender. Yeah, I know t- between our our two uh, grandfather mentors, between Dr. Preventure and Dr. Tokish, you know, who I'll, I'll side with every time based off of school and, uh, and service choice. So, Shots fired. Um, <laughs> all right, let's get into it. So, uh, Travis, at first glance, um, one might read the abstract of your paper and wonder why a case series of 13 patients was published. Um, can you talk about how common or uncommon these um, proximal um, tibiofibular joint injuries are and in what settings are these typically encountered? Uh, and then what's been published on these injuries in the past? Give, give the listeners kind of a, a lay of the land as far as what we know about these unique injuries. Yeah, I, I think that uh, proximal tip-fib joint instability is uh, it, it, it's fairly uncommon, but likely it's underdiagnosed and is higher than published reports to date. In isolation, it's uh, rarely reported, but it's been reported up to 10% of the time with multiple uh, ligament injuries. And so being cognizant and aware of the pathology uh, is key. Uh, going into any any clinical situation with these patients that have this vague lateral knee pain. We have uh, seen it typically in the young female patient under the age of 25 um, with patients that have had either an, an injury where they land on a flex knee uh, with a plantar flex foot that's inverted. Uh, also patients that uh, report twisting of the knee with the foot planted on the ground or just they have inherent instability uh, due to either abnormal bony morphology or just their uh, um, soft tissue uh, makeup. Uh, most patients, because of uh, this being a vague and often misdiagnosed pathology, often present in the chronic setting, which we reported is greater than six weeks. And though there are reports of patients with dislocation, which those people are often successfully and can be treated successfully uh, with non-operative treatment. And they're just by reduction, you immobilize them in extension, limit their weight bearing. And, um, but surgically, uh, patients have been reported, uh, there's been multiple different uh, surgical techniques that have been reported to include fixation, fusion of the joint, fibular head resection, and then reconstruction. Uh, similar as well as different than the one that we've described uh, with really the outcome studies limited to case series. There's a 
2017 systematic review by Crookberg at all that reported a total of 44 uh, case series with a, a, a some total of 96 patients. So they're, they're extremely small series, and, and that included the non-operatively treated patients. And this is still an evolving surgical uh, realm of the knee. Dr. Waterman just published a recent ATEC journal, uh, ATEC article, uh, just this this month where they use cortical suspensory fixation uh, for reapproximation uh, in fixation of the joint. Uh, lastly, it, with these different uh, surgical techniques that have been reported, uh, historical fixation uh, or treatment methods have included resection and fusion, and they've been found to alter gait and ankle me uh, mechanics, uh, and as a result, have led to persistent pain and patient dissatisfaction, and that dates back to studies that were performed in 1991 by Halbrecht and Core and uh, Dragnet and JBJS. And so why don't you walk us through some of the key um, diagnostic uh, tests, maneuvers, or physical exam findings that are typical of, of patients with these injuries. You already did a nice job of kind of setting it up for us in terms of the more common subjective complaints, but what are you doing at clinic to assess whether or not someone has truly symptomatic proximal tib-fib joint instability? Uh, so we start out with, I mean, I think the key, and sometimes as orthopedic surgeons, we are, we're always on the move and ready to roll. When patients come in with this vague lateral-sided knee pain, one of the most essential aspects for them is really listening to the, what their symptoms are, and they, often knowing that they've either been misdiagnosed or, uh, or that they just haven't been diagnosed at all. Um, and truly listening to see if maybe they can they give you hints that they have common perineal nerve neuritis that can that can be a trigger and something that i i listen for when i've had a uh, some, some of the patients come in and start complaining of this lateral side knee pain talking about specifics of at least the mechanics of the exam you really have to rely on patient uh symptom symptoms that they report but also your hands and um we found that ensuring that you're doing an anterior to posterior drawer, but specifically you have to feel for the bicep femoris to be relaxed at 90 degrees of flexion. And then really correlating it and uh, and comparing it to the underside. Y'all mentioned the use of McConnell taping um, used as both a diagnostic and therapeutic modality. Uh, why don't you describe for us exactly how you use this McConnell taping um, as you're working these patients up? Yeah, so similar to uh, that of the above, we have to you have to really listen to how their how it changes their symptoms as uh, both an intervention but as a test to see if it gives them any relief. Um, the in a great sports practice, yeah, I think what what typically can make us look better as surgeons is establishing a relationship with a good physical therapist. When you have a therapist that you can rely upon and uh, you're able to have open conversations uh, with how patients are doing. McConnell taping, where you st you're attempting to help stabilize the proximal fibular joint, um, uh, can give you a, a clue as to whether or not they're going to have symptomatic relief based off of just even slightly increasing their uh, their their stability. Another key tool that we use uh, as an intervention 
is, is we routinely perform diagnostic knee injections with uh, patients that have complicated um, either, either multi-ligament uh, knee injuries with, uh, um, or this vague pain. These were intra-articular lidocaine uh, injections to rule out intra-articular pathology as the main source of their pain. If they're not getting much relief from the lidocaine injection, but they have improvement with their McConnell taping, taking their global picture into perspective with associated common perineal nerve neuritis, we use that as really a gauge to give them the option of surgical fixation after that, that point. The, the anatomic reconstruction of the proximal tip fib joint um, described in this paper is interesting to me that unlike uh, other techniques that have been described, you just mentioned a recently published uh, ATEC paper um, you know, that uses uh, adjustable loop dispensary devices um, and other uh, types of these uh, approaches to repairing or reconstructing the ligament tend to be, or I think historically have been described as orienting the fixation in a more lateral labial direction. Uh, but the technique uh, here in this paper involves a fibular-based reconstruction, which the autographed uh, or allographed, um, but I think in this, in this particular paper, you guys specified use autographed, is routed um, anterior to posterior through the fibula, then posterior to anterior through the tibia. Uh, and there's a, there's a great figure uh, in your, in your paper too, for those, those listeners that are, uh, maybe on the treadmill or driver can't can't look at this right now. I highly recommend they go back and, and look at that figure. But what's the basis for for this type of reconstruction that you all have employed? Yeah, I, I think as it comes to the surgical procedure, this has obviously been uh, performed uh, at a much greater rate and more times uh, than myself by Dr. Laprade. Uh, Dr. Laprade is uh, really a uh, He's, a, he's an innate, amazing surgeon and anatomist that brings his, uh, uh, his background as well as his research uh, to the lab uh, as, all, as well as also to the OR. And he's really able to translate it and go from uh, bench to bedside. Uh, and as a result, his teaching has always been how can we reproduce the anatomy? There's been multiple studies with other ligamentous procedures in the knee that have demonstrated anatomic fixation can provide reproducible results uh, that improve patient outcomes. And so the key of this procedure and what uh, Dr. Prod really recreated is, is the anatomy. And what we're trying to fix is that because the posterior uh, uh, proximal tibiofibular joint ligaments are weaker than that of the anterior ligaments, which he, uh, Dr. Prod had nicely described in a, a prior biomechanics AJSM study, is that we're trying to reproduce those posterior ligaments. And as a result, those posterior ligaments and their orientation, it takes it from that anterolateral to posterior medial to reproduce that uh, footprint and that connection. Um, and by doing so, we reroute it back through the tibia, which provides it uh, to, uh, stable fixation, but also anatomic fixation. Uh, of those posterior tibiofibular, uh, proximal tibiofibular ligaments. So why don't you tell us uh, what exactly you found when you went back and you looked at how these patients did over time? Well, as you've already noted, it is a small case series and drawing uh, complete conclusions from it is 
is somewhat difficult to do, but we were able to find some trends that I think will help and aid in the diagnosis and as well as gave us some reassurance that uh, patients can do well and, and can return to the activities that they want. And what we found is that the majority of our patients were young. They were female patients and majority occurred from non-contact injuries. Almost all of them uh, complained of common perineal nerve irritation, whether on exam or based off of their symptoms, they were describing the pain that began and originated at approximately the level of the fibular head, oftentimes ir uh, um, radiating down within that distribution of the common perineal nerves, both superficial, perineal, and deep. Uh, over half the patients have concomitant uh, meniscal pathology as well as chondral pathology, so MRI is, uh, is key to rule out that copathology. What we found uh, even just anecdotally is that approximately 50% of the time the MRI can, is nonspecific as to evaluating the proximal fib joint. So, uh, really listening to the patient as well as the exam is key uh, into treating these patients effectively. And their results, they demonstrated that across all of the domains, the Womack score and the Lysol score, that the patients improved and they did well with improvement of their overall satisfaction. And they were able to return to their desired activities 85% um, uh, of the time. And so, uh, and, and lastly, uh, Although it is a small series, we had two complications with uh, one patient having persistent perineal nerve neuritis. That the other individual simply had a uh, femoral nerve palsy that was associated with a nerve block uh, preoperatively. We talked about the reconstruction itself briefly, and, and perhaps I oversimplified it in describing the fibular base tunnel as A to P. I think it's probably more aptly described as. Um, anterolateral to posterior medial, but why don't you give the listeners some technical pearls for actually doing this reconstruction? I think for those of us that spend time working on the lateral side of the knee, we're in, in the setting of a posterolateral corner reconstruction where we know kind of what to do and what not to do, but why don't you zero in on this technique specifically and give us maybe one or two technical tips for being able to pull this thing off successfully? Well, I, I think you you said it uh, in a lot of ways. This is in, in surgeons that are used to dealing with posterolateral corner injuries. They're used to dealing with this anatomy, and uh, a key part of it is ensuring that you get a, a great exposure, identifying the common perineal nerve, and providing a uh, extensive decompression of that nerve, uh, and ensuring all the adhesions down into even to the anterior compartment are released. Uh, one key spot, one key part of the procedure is to ensure that you're not too proximal on the fibular head as that can uh, cause a fracture, uh, which can be a devastating complication intraoperatively. And so ensuring just your anatomic landmarks uh, based off of where the uh, fibular styloid is. And this is described as that champagne drop-off and it's approximately three centimeters distal and 8.2 millimeters posterior to that anterior ridge. And then drilling, you can use either an anatomic guide or you can freehand it uh, back uh, to the level uh, uh, posteriorly. And then with that, that exposure posteriorly is making sure that you have uh, good uh, retractor placement with exposure of that posterior fibular head and the posterior aspect of the tibia. And then uh, as we reroute it anteriorly, we, we make sure that we dissect anterior to uh, reliably find that flat spot that is adjacent to Gertie's tubercle. 
Um, and when you drill that pin posteriorly uh, with the uh, location of the fibular tunnel as well as that of the tibial tunnel, we ensure that they're at approximately the same height to be able to reproduce and uh, uh, adequately pass the graft where the footprint is for the posterior proximal tibial fibular joint ligaments. Travis, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to me and educate the listeners on these unique injuries and I guess really hammer home the the points about putting your thinking cap on in clinic and treating every patient individually and making sure you're listening to everything is they're complaining about then employing some uh, more nuanced diagnostic techniques and then I guess putting it all towards an anatomic reconstruction. So this is great. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Andy. It's uh, always a pleasure to chat with you and uh, really appreciate you having me on. Dr. Decker's paper entitled Clinical Characteristics and Outcomes After Anatomic Reconstruction of the Proximal Tibiofibular Joint was recently published in the June 2020 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal and can currently be accessed at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Thank you all for joining us and have a good evening.